Hi, I'm Steve Thomas. This is Cacophony. Let's dive into some great music. But first, a warning. This episode's music is long, often loud. It's a sonic adventure, and we've got a mountain to climb. Why do we go on expeditions? To visit new places? To explore? Why do we climb mountains? Is it because they're there, as the climber Mallory put it? Or is it to improve us, to know ourselves better? The why may be a mystery, but we all do some sort of exploration, external and internal in our own way, however small. Not all of us climb mountains, though composer Richard Strauss did. And then he wrote music about it, so we can enjoy the feeling of marching up the hill and marching down again, without the physical effort or having to get up early. Hey, if you like, you can listen to this without getting up at all. On one level, Strauss's Alpine Symphony is a well-defined postcard, a perfectly illustrated and labelled day trip in the Alps, to the summit, via the forest, the brook, a waterfall, flowering meadows, pasture. The only thing not detailed is lunch. On another, it's a deeper study of the mountain, and a meditation, a spiritual manifesto almost, on the glory and power of nature, delivered to us through music that's equally full of glory, power, brilliance, even transcendence, all written by a total master of the orchestra. It's an epic journey. It lasts somewhere between 45 and 55 minutes, and plays in one unbroken span of music. And the orchestra is huge. If you obey Strauss's guidance on the minimum number of string players needed, and disregard his request that you double the harp players from two to four, you need 123 musicians, an orchestra almost as massive as the mountain itself. All the usual instruments are there, just more of them, plus extra percussion, including cowbells, a wind machine, and a thunder sheet. Why could he possibly need those? Though the music is long, the podcast need not be especially so, because the picture postcard surface of the music is made so clear and obvious by Strauss. You don't need me to talk you through the 22 different named sections. You don't even need to know what they are. You can hear perfectly well when you're at the waterfall, even when you're getting stuck in the thickets and undergrowth on the wrong path. We all know it's going to be a pretty full-on day when, in order to be home before it's too late, we have to be up before dawn. But that's where we start in the Alpine Symphony. In gloom and darkness. Gradually, you get a sense of the brooding presence of the mountain, but can't yet see it. The first quietly brilliant bit of Strauss's genius for writing for orchestra has already happened. The strings of the orchestra divided into 20 separate lines for the chord that underpins and unsettles the quiet fanfare on low trombones and tubers. The sunrise, when it comes, is spectacular and gripping, the first of many blazes of glory. 
After that, Strauss has us in the palm of his hand, and I think we're feeling pretty optimistic as the journey proper gets underway, with the cellos and basses striding off full of life and energy. And what a pretty journey it is. The streams, that waterfall, the birdsong, cows, sheep, and the sound of a distant hunt, brought to us by twelve off-stage horns, plus a couple of each of trumpets and trombones. That's an awful lot of horns. There are another eight on stage. This is where much of the getting up the mountain is done. And it's here that the music can sometimes feel a bit, well, long. But we can't arrive without having travelled. So without wishing to sound like a dad in the front of the car, and that may have been me only last week, I promise you, it'll be worth it when we get there. Strauss had been on a top-of-the-mountain day trip with his mates when he was 14, and he'd immediately come home and sketched it out in music. I don't know how much of that music, if any, made it into the Alpine Symphony, which wasn't written for another 35 years. Though Strauss still lived near and walked often in the mountains, and the memories of the trip as a kid were still fresh. In the music, as we get closer to the top, our climb becomes harder. First, as the young Strauss did, we get lost down that wrong and overgrown path. Then we hit the snow line and the glacier. It's all a bit dicey. But it's just a few more metres, and then we'll reach the top. We're about 25 minutes into the piece. A much, much less certain version of the earlier striding out music and a hair-raising solo trumpet moment, a slightly desperate fanfare. Gives way to different hairs on the back of the neck-raising stuff, as the rest of the brass announce our arrival at the summit. This is one of the many of my favourite things in music moments. It's an overwhelming few minutes. But I think Strauss knows from experience what this overwhelm feels like, and can share it really well with us. Before the full power and glory of the mountain are revealed, he takes a moment. It's a few bars of beautiful, hesitant solo oboe. The catching of breath. Perhaps a silent muttering of thanks that we've got to the top in one piece. It's like we're not quite ready yet to take it all in. Before that, we need a bit of silence. Space. And then, finally... It hits us in all its immensity, and it's truly awesome. As we're wondering how long we can stay up at the top, the elements intervene. The sky darkens quite suddenly and some big weather rolls in. 
I particularly love the eerie stillness that precedes the first isolated and heavy raindrops. You know that you're about to get absolutely drenched. The descent down the mountain is in much more of a hurry than the trip up was, and the storm is ferocious. Many composers have written great storms, many composers have written great sunrises, but in this piece I really do think you get maybe the best of both of them. As the weather eases off and evening comes, we sort of give thanks and bask a bit in everything that's gone before. Strauss was not religious, quite the opposite, but as the piece comes to its end, it seems to re-contemplate the beauty, majesty and variety of nature in all its glory. And the organ gives it an extra, overtly spiritual dimension. It's a more quiet wonder than before, with a sense of comfort and consolation. And the music comes to an end as it began, in the darkness of night, one more day's cycle complete, in the larger cycle of life. The Alpine Symphony's great stuff, brilliantly, often delicately orchestrated, and a tour de force and tour de endurance for the players. Strauss even suggested that the wind players make use of an invention called Samuel's Aerophone, where extra air could be pumped into the mouth through a tube so they could play without needing to pause for breath. Sounds like a horrendous idea. I can't imagine why it didn't catch on. But the piece is more than just a virtuoso workout. Yeah, we're dazzled by the sun, delighted by the hunting horns, awed by the views, and can almost feel the water but I'm also deeply moved along the way. It's a trip I always feel better for having been on. I hope you feel the same. Let's have a listen. Click on the link in the podcast notes for a complete performance. Send us a comment and let us know what you think. And then I'd like to ask you a favour. Can you think of one person you know who you think would really enjoy this? Who are they? Please share Cacophony with them and maybe tag us both as you're doing so. Please come back for more next time. I think we're heading still higher from the mountains to the stars. And thanks for listening. <laughs>